start today with a true or false question. True or false. Personal challenges and negative circumstances limit my opportunity to make it count. The answer is false. And that's a simple answer. But honestly, I don't really believe it. Deep down, I secretly believe that it's precisely my painful past, my personal heartbreaks, my lousy circumstances that prevent me from living a life that really counts. I mean, I say, well, the reason I can't make a difference in life is because I have health problems. I have a, a boring job or a struggling marriage or not enough money. I don't make a difference because of my circumstances. That's what I really believe. In fact, uh, if I start life uh, uh, with a family that abuses me and then it gets worse because I become trapped in a dead-end job that is essentially slavery, and then it becomes even worse because I become a victim of uh, accusations from a powerful person, it becomes even worse when those accusations land me in prison with no hope of release. I mean, if I'm this guy, then of course my negative circumstances will severely limit my opportunity to make anything out of my life, right? The Bible says, no, not right at all, because the negative circumstances I just described apply to a guy named Joseph. And far from limiting him, the Bible shows how God uses each one of these obstacles as a positive stepping stone to God's perfect plan to make Joseph's life better and make it count. God's plan culminates with Joseph becoming the ruler, the most powerful man in all the earth of the ancient world and a guy who saves millions from starvation and brings healing to his estranged family. And through Joseph, God teaches me that well, I can't choose my circumstances in life, but I can choose my attitude toward those circumstances. I always get to choose my attitude. And my attitude determines whether my circumstances make my life worse or make it better. So let me tell you more about Joseph. And you can follow along in your Bible or your device in uh, Genesis chapter 39. The story begins with uh, Joseph, as a teenager, going to his 10 older brothers who are working out in the field. And these 10 brothers see Joseph coming and they conspire against him and throw him in an abandoned well. And there they plan to just let him die until a caravan passes by and these brothers see their opportunity to pocket a little cash. And so they pull Joseph out of the well and they sell Joseph to some slave traders who are heading to Egypt. And this is where we pick up the story in Genesis chapter 39, verse 1. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, bought him from the slave traders who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he prospered while living in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was 
with Joseph and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his assistant. Did you hear that? The Bible says that Joseph is a success, which means that he has a life that counts in the eyes of the only one who counts, and that's the eyes of God. And the Bible implies that the secret of Joseph's success was not his aptitude, but his attitude. Joseph made it count by the way he faced negative circumstances with positive attitudes. So let's study Joseph. And three, three of these attitudes that make it better, starting with Joseph's attitude of confidence. Joseph overcame abuse, slavery, accusation, and prison with his internal attitude of confidence. This is not self-confidence. This is confidence in something else. Joseph had a confidence that God was with him. Did you notice that repeated phrase? The Lord was with Joseph and he prospered. The master saw that the Lord was with Joseph. Joseph had confidence that God was with him. Joseph says this in Genesis chapter 45 when he reflects back on his days in slavery, how he was faithfully serving Potiphar for a number of years, and then Potiphar's wife lures Joseph into her bedroom, and when Joseph rebuffs her advances, she pays him back by accusing him of rape. So now Joseph is thrown in prison where he interprets the dream of one of his fellow inmates who ends up working for the Pharaoh. And so when a few years later, Pharaoh has a dream, this former inmate of Joseph says, hey, Pharaoh, I know a guy who interprets dreams. And so Joseph is brought up from jail and interprets Pharaoh's dream. And Pharaoh is so impressed with Joseph that he puts Joseph in charge of the entire Egyptian empire. And over the preparations for the famine, Joseph foretells through Pharaoh's dream. And that leads to the end of the story when as ruler of Egypt, Joseph now reveals himself to his starving brothers who have come for food. And Joseph explains that he is where he is, not because he's smart, not because he's worked really hard, not because he's lucky. Joseph explains that the secret of his success is his confidence that God was with him in the abandoned well. God was with him in Potiphar's house. God was with him in prison and that God is with him in the palace. And Joseph said then to his brothers in Genesis 45, come close to me. I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. It was not you who sent me here, but God. God made me ruler of all Egypt. So Joseph's life reveals that the secret to making life count is an attitude of confidence. Not so much confidence in myself, but confidence in God. Confidence that God is with me. That confidence that God 
loves me all the time. That God has a good plan for my life. Now, that sounds easy, doesn't it? Oh, I'll just have confidence that, uh, that God's got a good plan, that God's good and God has a good plan for me. Oh, that's easy. Until, just like Joseph, I actually face situations that make me doubt that God is really with me. So let's not pretend. The truth is, every chapter in my life comes with painful circumstances that call God's goodness into question. And it's not easy to have this attitude of confidence when I get to the part of my story that is dark and includes bad news. I had a professor in college named Lewis Smeeds, and Dr. Smeeds had a PhD. He was a well-known theology professor and a prolific author. And Dr. Smeeds would tell you if he was here today that none of these three things taught him how to have confidence in God. Professor Smeeds would tell you that a doctorate in theology can't teach you the secret of trusting God. Confidence in God is learned through trusting God in the midst of the good news, bad news story of life. Uh, Smeeds would tell you what he told me, how for the first decade of his marriage, uh, he and his wife Doris prayed and prayed for a child, but they were told that it was medically impossible. More than anything else in the world, they just wanted to have a baby. And finally, after 10 years of being told that they would never become parents, after 10 years of asking God and trusting God, Doris became pregnant. They, of course, were thrilled and thanked God for this medical miracle. But then, six months later, something went wrong. And the doctor said that something didn't look right on the ultrasound and that the baby appeared to be horribly malformed. And then several weeks after receiving this bad news, Doris started experiencing intense pain. And so Smeeds called the doctor. And the doctor said, you need to rush Doris to the hospital. She's in premature labor. And you need to get her to the hospital and Smeeds was on the phone and the doctor said to him, and you need to prepare Doris for the fact that she is giving delivery to a baby that will be terribly malformed. It'll be traumatic and you need to prepare her for this. And so uh, Smeeds told the doctor that he would prepare his wife, but he would also be praying and talking to God and trusting God. And Smeeds did pray that whole night. And then at 6 a.m., the doctor came to this new father with a sheepish grin on his face and said, congratulations, you have a perfect baby boy. And Dr. Smeeds describes the joy he had of holding this perfect baby boy he'd been waiting for and praying for for 10 years. And if Dr. Smeeds were here, he would then take a deep breath and he would say, but our baby boy never left the hospital. He died two days later. And Professor Smeeds would tell you that knowing theology doesn't teach you 
how to trust God in the good news, bad news, good news, bad news story of life. The secret of confidence in God is the lifelong process of knowing God, not just knowing facts about God. And Professor Smeads would tell you that the death of his child was the worst experience in his life. He was a dad for only two days. But Dr. Smeads would tell you that he thanks God for those two days and how those two days changed his life and gave him a whole new perspective for God as a heavenly father who he deepened even more in trust and confidence in that love of God while he held his son for those two days in the good news, bad news story of life. And maybe right now you're in the bad news part of your story. You don't get to choose all the parts in your story, but you do get to choose your attitude. And your attitude determines whether those circumstances in your life make your life worse or make it better. You get to choose. Smeed's got to be a dad for two days. But because he chose an attitude of confidence, those two days made his life better. Joseph was thrown into a well, sold as a slave, falsely accused, landed in prison. But he chose an attitude of confidence. And that choice made his life better instead of worse. And you may be saying, really? I mean, really? Uh, does having confidence in God and God's presence and love really make a difference? Yeah, it makes all the difference. This attitude not only makes a difference in how you live, this attitude makes you look different. This is what Genesis 39 verse 3 means when we read that Potiphar saw that the Lord was with Joseph. Now what does it mean that Potiphar saw that the Lord was with Joseph? Clearly Potiphar didn't see the invisible God with Joseph. What Potiphar saw was how Joseph's life was so different. Potiphar saw how Joseph was so free from worry, so free from fear and bitterness. Potiphar saw how Joseph was so full of wisdom and gladness that he had to conclude that God was with him. Can you imagine what people around you will see when you really live with confidence in God's love and good plan and presence in your life, just like Potiphar saw it in Joseph, people will see how your attitude makes better everything and everyone you touch. How your attitude of confidence in God gives you peace that makes your life really count. But Joseph displays another attitude that makes it better. It is resilience. We say that a tree is resilient when a strong wind can thrust it over and then the tree bounces back. Joseph was resilient. I remember when I was uh, eight years old and my grandmother gave me a, a gift. I said, gee, Grandma, thanks a lot for the comb. And uh, I wasn't very excited until my grandmother uh, said two magic words. She said, Steve, this is an unbreakable comb. 
And then she showed me right there on the spine of the comb that it said unbreakable. And when I saw that, I loved that comb because I was always up for a challenge like that. I uh, spent the whole morning trying to break that comb. I couldn't do it. I would bend it and bend it and bend it, but it would always bounce back. Fortunately, I had a friend up the street who specialized in breaking stuff. And so I called Wayne. Wayne came over with some tools, and it took the afternoon. We did break it. Uh, and then after I did, I triumphantly brought the pieces to my grandmother because I was dumb enough to think that she'd be proud and impressed. And then I found out that the back of my head was not as resilient as the unbreakable comb. Joseph had this attitude of resilience. It didn't matter what people and circumstances did to bend him. He always bounced back. You can dump Joseph in a well, and he'll bounce back. You can sell him as a slave, and he'll bounce back, and he'll be the best slave you've ever seen. You can throw Joseph into jail on false charges, and he'll bounce back, and he'll be the best prisoner in the clink. You can be a brother who hates him and scars him for life, but when you're starving, he will say something like this in Genesis 45. Brothers, come close to me. Do not be distressed, and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. Considering everything that Joseph's brothers did to him, these words are amazing. And these words indicate where this attitude of resilience comes from. Resilience comes from two internal habits, joyfulness and forgiveness. Resilience is built first on the habit of joyfulness, which we're going to talk about more uh, later in this series. So today, just let me summarize joyfulness. It's, it's deriving gladness by looking beyond present and temporary circumstances to what is good in God and what God does that is good on the eternal level. And Joseph had this kind of joy. Uh, but now, let me focus on how Joseph had this resilience coming from a habit of forgiveness. Every time someone threw Joseph down, Joseph would rise up through his habit of forgiveness. Joseph was raised to the head of Potiphar's household because he rose to forgive those who made him a slave. Uh, Joseph was raised to leadership in prison because Joseph rose to forgive the one who falsely accused him. And Joseph was raised to the head of the whole Egyptian empire because he chose to forgive those who abused him in jail. You know, I can't avoid how people hurt me, but I can choose my attitude toward those who hurt me. I can choose to rise above through the habit of forgiveness. Through this resilient attitude, Joseph made it better and rose to become the most powerful man in the entire ancient world. And it could well be that God wants to raise you to a whole new level, but first you must rise to the challenge of forgiveness. You must rise to forgive the parents who neglected you, the ex-spouse who betrayed you, the co-worker who slanders you, and the friend who hurt you. Joseph took what seemed to be lousy, lousy, lousy circumstances and kept making it better through his attitudes of confidence and resilience 
and the third attitude, which is diligence. Joseph displays an attitude of diligence in two important ways. First, he shows diligence to a dedication to excellence. In everything, Joseph chose to thrive, not just survive. When Joseph became a slave, he became the best slave he could be. And so he was put in charge of everyone and everything in the house. And then when he was thrown into jail, he became the best prisoner he could be. And the warden put him in charge of everything and everyone in the jailhouse. And when Pharaoh brought Joseph out of prison, he brought that same dedication to excellence and he was put in charge of everything and everyone in the entire empire. Joseph's commitment to thrive and not just survive is an attitude prescribed by the Apostle Paul in Colossians 3, verse 23. Whatever, whatever, whatever you do, do it with all your heart as working for God and no one else. So if you're a student, you study with diligence working for God. Even if I feel like my job is, is boring or, different, or meaningless, I'm diligent because I'm working for God as a mom, as a dad, as a, a brother, as a sister, as a husband, as a wife. I want to be the best that I can be. But there's a second aspect to Joseph's attitude of diligence, which is his commitment to not be a quitter. We are meant to look at the events of Joseph's life and see how if he had quit at any point, he would have missed his chance to make it count. At the bottom of the well, if Joseph had quit on his trust in God, he would have missed his chance to make it count. If while he was a slave, if Joseph had quit on himself and given up, he would have missed his opportunity to make it count. When he, was, when he landed in prison, if Joseph quit on forgiveness and just became bitter, he would have missed his opportunity to make it count. We're meant to see how tragic, how tragic it would have been if at any point Joseph chose to just quit on God's love, quit on God's good plan in his life and fall into an attitude of insecurity and rigidity and darkness and despair. And so God is calling me through Joseph's story saying, whatever you do, whatever you do, don't quit. Don't give up. Insist on a life that counts by refusing to quit. You can't avoid some circumstances in your life, but you can choose your attitude toward those circumstances. And through a commitment to attitudes of confidence and resilience and diligence, you can choose to make it better and make your life count. Think about this. And do that as I get a chance now to introduce you to a friend of mine, a friend I met a couple of years ago. And as I've gotten to know him, he's been an inspiration to me. I think he will be to you as well. My dad was saying that he was, you know, his head was next to my mom's head as, uh, as I was being born. And he saw my shoulder and he just went pale and was hoping my mom didn't see me because he saw that I had no right arm. And my dad had to leave the room and he couldn't believe what he saw. And the doctor came in and my dad said, my son, he has no right arm. And he says, no, your son has no arms or legs. 
And he said he nearly fell on the floor. He couldn't believe it. And the whole church was mourning, you know, like why would God let the pastor's son be born that way? And my mom, at first, she, she didn't want to hold me. She didn't want to, you know, mm -hmm. breastfeed me and all that. Um, she just felt very uncomfortable for the first four months. And it took them quite a while before they could trust in God that he didn't make a mistake, that he didn't forget them or me. Nick's parents gave their fear and even disappointment in their son's disability over to the Lord. They chose to trust God and his promise that he had a plan and purpose, a hope and a future for their son. But as the years passed, Nick, on the other hand, had many challenges trusting in a God that he felt gave him less. I challenged God. I said, God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I won't probably have peace until you're in my heart, but I will not let you in my heart until you answer me why. Why did you take my arms and legs? Why didn't you give me what everybody else has? And I said, God, until you answer me that question, I will not serve you. And so I wanted to end it. If God wasn't going to end my pain, I was going to end it myself. So at age eight, I tried to drown myself in a bathtub of four inches of water. I told my mom and dad, I'm just going to relax in the bathtub. Can you put me in the bathtub? And uh, yeah, I turned over a couple times to see if I could do it, I couldn't do it. Um, the thought that stopped me from going through with it was the love for my parents. Because um, I, I love them so much and all they did was love me. And I thought to myself, if I actually went through with this, I pictured my funeral, I pictured my parents, and all I saw was guilt on their shoulders, that they couldn't have done more. That would be the last time Nick would attempt suicide but it wouldn't be the last time he would come face to face with those deep issues that made him want to end the pain. Then one day, Nick's mother had him read an article about a severely disabled man. And that man's story made a huge impact on Nick. <laughs> I have a choice to either be angry at God for what I don't have or be thankful for what I do have. And my mom, she said, Nick, God's gonna use you. I don't know how, I don't know when, but God's gonna use you. And those seeds started penetrating in my heart. And that's when I started seeing that there is no point in being complete on the outside when you're broken on the inside. And I found out that God can heal you without changing a circumstance. I gave my life to Jesus Christ when I read John 9 at age 15, where a man was coming through a village and a man, um, this, this blind man from birth, Jesus saw him. People said, why was this man born that way? Jesus said it was done so that the works of God may be revealed through him. And in 2 Timothy 3 verse 16, it says, all scripture is God breathed. And I believe God breathed in me life and faith. This faith came over me, this peace came over me. And I felt like God answered my question. And what Lord, was the question and what was the answer? The question was why? Why did you make me this way? And the answer was, do you trust me? That's the question. And when you say yes to that question, nothing else matters. But what was it specifically for you that made you say, Lord, I'm going to trust your word because I know it's true. I'm going to trust you even if I don't know what you have in store for me tomorrow. Right. Because there was nothing else I could find. Mm. There was nothing else that could give me peace. I knew arms and legs wouldn't give me peace anyway, arms and legs alone. Um, I needed to know the truth of who I am, why I'm here, and where I'm going when I'm not here. 
and I haven't found that truth anywhere else but in Jesus Christ. And it was in Jesus Christ where Nick found the strength to do what many thought would be the impossible. It's so hard to be strong when people constantly say, you're not good enough, you, you know, go away, you know, we don't want anything to do with you. Nick, you're a nobody. Nick, you can't do this. Nick, you can't do that. Nick, 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 Nick. In life, if you don't know the truth, then you can't be free because then you'll believe that the lies are the truth. But once we realize that when we read the Word of God and you know the truth of who you are, I am not a man without arms and legs. I'm a, I am a child of God. I am forgiven of my sins. I'm an ambassador of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I'm nothing but a servant of the Most High God. This is not about Nick. It's not about Nick's capacity and capability to become this conqueror. I am nothing. I'm nothing. God, though, lives in me, and I now live in His strength. And whatever Jesus conquered, I conquer. I believe if God doesn't give you a miracle, you are a miracle of God for somebody else's salvation. And I thank God that He didn't answer my prayer when I was begging Him for arms and legs at age eight. Because guess what? Because I have no arms and no legs, He's using me all around the world. And we've seen so far, approximately, uh, this is conservative, 200,000 souls come to Jesus Christ for the very first time in the last six, seven years. And what would you rather? Would you rather have arms and legs, Nick, here on earth and no arms? No, whatever His will is, because I'd rather have no arms, no legs temporarily here on earth to be able to reach someone else for Jesus Christ and then spend eternity with them there. In the last decade, Nick has shared his story in 24 countries to over 3 million people. And whether he's talking to a stadium packed with people or one single person. His heart behind the message is the same. God loves you, that he hasn't forgotten your pain, he hasn't forgotten your family. And maybe while you're watching this interview, you've compared your suffering to my suffering. And that's not where hope is, to know that someone else, in your opinion, is suffering more than you. That's not where hope is. But hope is in the name of God, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hope is when you compare your suffering to the infinite, immeasurable love and grace of God. Isaiah 40, verse 31 says, Those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings as eagles. I didn't need my circumstance to change. I don't need arms and legs. I need the wings of the Holy Spirit. And I'm flying because I know Jesus is holding me up. Don't give up on God, because God will not give up on you.